over here and grab my coffee. Two weeks ago, we had a church service start a little early because of some logistics issues. And um, when I started creating the slideshow for this, I copied the template. So if you're online, like, it's 11 o'clock, why haven't they started? Why is this coffee over there? It doesn't seem like he's prepared at all. It's true. The time was set on the system for 9.30 still because of my uh, poor efforts. So anyway, a little bit of a mad dash to get up here and get going. Luckily, other people are paying attention despite me not doing so. It's lovely to be here. Uh, I'm starting to feel maybe a little more like the Christmas season out there. Indiana's kind of like uh, we got hot and, and then mud and then ice and then mud and then hot again. And right now it's mud. So it's mud season. We'll still be in Ephesians. We're wrapping up chapter 3 today. I called the, the uh, sermon title Strength Training. So if you're into that, if you're wanting to get stronger, you're in the right place. Maybe not in, in the way you want to get stronger necessarily, but that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Um, uh, so let's go ahead. We'll jump in, read the passage together, then we'll pray and, uh, and talk about this a bit. So we'll be in Ephesians 3, um, 14 to the end, but if you've got a Bible, uh, feel free to follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read the tail end of Paul's prayer here, um, I want to echo the sentiment here, Lord. The, the, the passage we're talking about today has to do with strength and it has to do with growing in that strength and utilizing that strength, Lord. And I'm thankful that when we talk about the strength that is being discussed here, it has nothing to do with our capability and everything to do with the work that you have already done. Lord, I thank you so much for your sacrifice, for your providence, for the suffering, for all the things that make up our time on this earth that draw us nearer to you and the opportunity to have your word anytime we need it to be able to open this book, study it, and learn from it. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, sons of my prayer. Amen. All right, so strength training. Is there anybody that wants to be stronger? I, I hear this question asked all the time. Like if you go to, like, I, I work in a company, and we have these corporate get-togethers, and people ask questions like these. They're called rhetorical questions, right? We all know the answer. Most people do. There may be a few cases, but few people want to be weaker. That's a very rare thing that somebody goes to, like, you know, like I've had a good gym career, now I'm just going to go to McDonald's because I'm really trying to put on weight and lose strength and get some heart disease. That's generally not what people are targeting. Most everybody in any discipline wants to be stronger. And I will assert that in order to become stronger in anything, you must work. Now, that work could be varied. Some people have to work harder than others. Some people work in different ways than others. But if you want to be stronger in anything, not just maybe muscular strength, but a stronger reader, a higher jumper, a better public speaker anything. I want to be better at shuffling cards. I want to be better at, at shooting bow and arrow, whatever. You probably are going to have to work at that. Outside of just a, a pure miracle, it's going to take some effort. And the question, no matter what we're talking about, is work on what? 
If you've ever been to a gym, if you've ever met with a coach under any circumstance, this inevitably is answered typically by that coach. Here's what we're going to do today. Anybody ever play basketball as a younger person? I did as well. I know I don't look very sporting. But there was a word that's used a lot in sports, especially when you're starting off, that I really began to hate. That word is fundamentals. We're going to shoot layups for two hours. And everyone's like, Ugh. now people that love layups are like, yes, I can make every one. I hated layups. They're not exciting. What I wanted to do was dunk or shoot three-pointers. It may surprise you to, to know that I cannot dunk a basketball. I don't know that any number of fundamentals would have helped in that regard. But the reality is you have to start somewhere. And that question is, is, is what we're, we're talking about today. This is exactly where Paul starts. So for this reason, as usual, in, in classic Paul style, the new passage references the old passage. And then last week, where it kind of ended was this notion of steadfastness, right? Paul's been talking about their ability to remain grounded, to understand who God is and trust God, to know that he is their God, he is for them, wants good for them, is on their side. That's what he's praying for. And as we see him pray here, he's praying to the Father, and as it starts this, 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 uh, the, the cadence of his speech, he makes reference to a, a father that is uh, after which all fathers are named, which might seem a little bit strange on its face, uh, but it, what he's basically saying is the only reason that we have the notion of a father and any respect for fathers is because God was the ultimate preeminent father. All the families, all the church families, everything that we structure about, Paul's giving honor to God who set up the perfect example. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You might think, well, we don't all call ourselves gods. or No, we don't. But Paul's saying anything that we're talking about getting better as a family, as growing as a church, it, God must be in the center of it. And he set the prime example of what a father would do to lead and save and what a son would do to respect the wishes of a father. It's all spelled out. And that's exactly where Paul's starting. So in his prayer for strength, he's not just praying for strength. He doesn't want them to get tougher. He's praying for godly strength. And their inevitable question is going to be, well, how does one get godly strength? And Paul explains that here. God must grant this strength according to the riches of glory. According to the riches of, this is in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This strength is manifest in power through the Holy Spirit. This may seem trivial or well understood, and that's fine. This would have been very interesting at a time when people were even then used to having to do things in order to get better. We are called to do things. Don't get me wrong. This isn't about, oh, great, we're just infinitely strong from day one. No, that's, that's not how this necessarily is going to work. But the strength that he's talking about is going to be for their inner being, not for their outer selves. So this isn't something that's going to be manifest or visible to the world around them. What Paul is praying for is something primal, something deep inside them at the soul level, the heart level, the brain level, to convince them that on a regular basis to be able to see and act in a way that God would have them act to do and accomplish things that they alone could never do. Without a doubt in their mind, they know who, what's going on here. This is what Paul's praying for. Now, I want to be clear, Paul's not invoking this this is not Paul summoning forth God's strength to them. Paul is praying for God to do this as God sees fit. The idea that all the Ephesians were suddenly saved by Paul writing this or, or God immediately indwelt them at the request of Paul is not what's going on here. 
It's much, it's much simpler than that in some regards. It's that what Paul's saying is, my prayer for you in order that you may be strengthened is that God would give you the strength. Because if he doesn't, it simply isn't going to happen. And I don't, there's nothing I'm going to see. There's nothing Paul's going to be looking for. Hey, show me your strength card. Pick that kettlebell up. Everybody recite for me the verses. This indicates you're strong. That's not what's going on here. Paul is telling them in the prayer, his, through his spirit and your inner being, and that begs the question is why? Why does Paul want the Ephesians to be strengthened by God? Well, all we got to do is keep reading, luckily. In verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, those last two words might seem like, oh, cool, through faith. That sounds good. This fundamentally shifts any doubt away from the fact that they are working Christ into their hearts. The strength that God is providing helps them to understand the profound nature of what has already been done. Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. You believe in Christ. He dwells in your heart. Your ability to believe in Christ, to even have that faith, comes from God's strength in you. Not your strength to overcome adversity and conquer conquer logically. You know, I really think Jesus is real. I'm just going to believe in him. What Paul's praying for here is salvation, but different than it is today. He doesn't want them to come up front and give their lives. He doesn't want them to jump through any hoops. He wants God to start wrecking them from the inside out. And when he does that, they will start to believe in Jesus Christ. And Christ will dwell in their hearts, not because of the work they're doing, but because of the faith that God gave them. He also goes on to say that they due to their proper grounding in love, may have strength. This is a very interesting pivot, even for times like this, right? This idea of, what are we talking about love? We're talking about faith. What are we talking about strength? You know, when we go to watch a strongman competition, or if you ever go to powerlifting, or if you watch wrestling on TV, there's no real notion of faith. It's not about loving everybody into a, you know, a submission and winning the match. It's about physical capability. I outmatch you. In nearly everything that we do, what we have here is Paul basically saying, who are you going to outmatch? God? No. So there's no fight to be had there. If you think you're going to outmatch the enemy alone? No. You can't win that one either. So this idea that we're going to go to war is kind of silly. What Paul's saying is when, when this happens in your life, now what we see is Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And then in verse 17, the second half of this, it says that you being rooted and grounded in love, into verse 18, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. When Christ imbues, uh, when our faith arises and God lights that up for us, illumines us, and we say, oh my gosh, I believe, and the answer is Jesus, and I, this is true. Now what? I don't pivot towards, now I'm going to aggressively start cramming this down everybody's throat that I see. I'm going to start belittling all those that don't believe. You don't have faith, well, woe unto you, you simpleton. You haven't come to the, the, the glory of my own brain, finally opened up to this to me. There's actually a school of thought, and this is, I find it very interesting, in the secular world of people trying to study what thought is. Has everybody heard of this? Everybody ever see something you think is neat, and you say, hey, that's neat. And they say, yeah, I just thought of that. And you give them credit, right? I thought of that. Good for you. Why do we do that? It's a great question. What made you think of it? Do you think your brain just one day lit up a new area and had to to answer to that? No, it's almost bizarre. 
People have been talking about this now, like maybe thoughts are coming from something outside of ourselves. But if so, where? Well, the good news for us as believers is we kind of know where, right? We see this stuff happening now. We see that God is in our lives, acting in our lives, changing things, making it better, helping us out in many ways. This is fantastic news, right? And now what we have is the world trying to figure this out after thousands of years, coming to the same kind of conclusion that I think there's something more at work here. I don't think we're just thinking of things. I think my ability to think of a problem or a solution to it may not even be due me. It might be due to something else outside of me. That's exactly what Paul's getting at here. If you want to show anything outside of you regarding your state of salvation, the, the way that your faith is perceived, that something is love. You are grounded in love. There's a song, it's kind of campy and corny, back in the old days, if you will, in the 90s, called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. And we would sing it, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll know we're, they'll know we're Christians by a lot of other reasons, but, but love is a good one too. And Paul's kind of saying it's really just that one. We don't need to be argumentative. We don't need to be combative. We don't need to be hasty or hateful. We need to be loving. That's where we are grounded. That's where our strength lies. And that strength to do what? Change the world, win the wrestling matches, combat evil. Is this the strength we've got? We're going to love our enemies to death? Not exactly. The strength that he's praying for, and this is an interesting twist, church, I think, is the strength to comprehend how big the love of Christ is. This doesn't even have anything to do, the strength that he's praying for and the way that he wants this to be manifest, for the reasons to be manifest in them, is not so that they can go out and be some massive Christian warrior to change the world for Jesus by fighting Satan, you know, punching him right in the jaw around every corner. He's just ahead of the game. When we think of superheroes, when we think of champions of anything in our world, it's very rarely a transcendent appreciation and understanding of their own capability as given to them. <laughs> it's do something with it. I'm the strongest man in the world, and, and the way that I use my strength is I sit on a beach and ponder the depth of my own strength. Incredible. He would say, what good is that? What Paul's saying is that's of infinite good for believers. Trying to just work your way through what Christ has done for you will take you an eternity in this body. You cannot do it. We know this because he's praying for strength so that we may understand that fullness, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You cannot comprehend the love of Christ through knowledge alone. It may, this is in verse 18, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What he's saying is you might know the Bible. You can memorize different facets of Christ's love and how it manifests and how Christians should love one another. But to really know the love of Christ, you must know Christ. And to do that, that comes from God, not us. Strength to be filled with all the fullness of God. And serious strength from an outside source. If you're catching nothing thus far, and you feel like, man, I'm, I'm struggling with strength, spiritual strength. This is not about, I got to double down. I got to start working out twice a day. I'm going to read more Bible. I'm going to do more work, and I'm going to get better faith. That's not how this works. That is not how this works. Now, I'm not saying don't read your Bible more. <laughs> but don't think that by reading your Bible, you will necessarily grow in faith. You could grow in disdain. You could find yourself disliking the word even more the more you study it. Because what we're talking about here is not anything we can do. Paul is not praying that they start listening to his words more seriously. 
and they continue to do what he says or else. This prayer is for them, and by being, by being for them, it is to God, <laughs> to please God, do what you do and only you can do in them so that they can do for you what I am unable to do because I'm not them. Amen? No. If he wrote that, nobody would know what he's talking about. It's already tough enough with Paul. But this is really what it's getting towards. I am praying that God will do something in you to make you capable in a way you never thought possible. If the capability that I really want for you isn't the ability to go out there and be super Christian, it's to stop and understand the unbelievable nature of what Christ has done. And the more you think about that, what Christ has done, the sacrifice that was made, the value that we must have in the Father's eyes, the easier it is for us to be properly humble, a proper humility, one that understands exactly where we rank and where God ranks and how all this needs to go. This is an incredible ask through prayer. <clears throat> and Paul closes this prayer with proper worship. As usual, most of Paul's writings are generally categorized as prayer and worship. There's instruction in there, but it's usually just like this, kind of instruction through prayer <laughs> or instruction through worship. But the way that Paul phrases the end of this is just, I think, delightful. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To the God who is able to exceed our wildest dreams, to him whose power works in us be glory, not us. Not to those that we help or work, no glory. The glory goes to God. Glory within the church and glory in Christ for all time is all God's. Anything that happens in this church body that is glorious, credit goes to God, not to us, not to the church, not to y'all. None of us deserve the glory. It's all due to God. So, points to ponder. What can we, what can we glean from this relatively short passage? Number one, prayer is powerful and it brings strength. Prayer is powerful and brings strength. Number two, faith is fundamental and it brings strength. Faith is fundamental. Number three, love is lasting and brings strength. Love is lasting. And number four, worship is wondrous and brings strength. Worship is wondrous. Let's dive into these. Prayer is powerful. I like to think of this. Paul's letters are prayers to God aimed at people. We'll get to this a little bit later, but we, you know, you'll hear this, this adage thrown around in the church a lot, pray without ceasing, right? We should always be in prayer. And it seems very difficult because the way we tend to approach prayer is a very formal event where perhaps we bow our heads, close our eyes, heads bowed, eyes closed, <laughs> to be solemn. And then maybe one person prays or we take some time to pray but it's usually very formal and processed. That's a fine way to pray. I'm not saying we don't do that. That's, okay. that's, just, that's just fine. It's a wonderful thing to do. But something like that is very difficult to do without ceasing. <laughs> Unless you have a bunch of free time and you can spend 24 hours a day with your head bowed and your eyes closed, uh, you're probably going to have to stop doing that at some point. When you read Paul's writings, it, take, a, take a note about the tone and the manner in which he writes this. He's constantly speaking to God, uh, uh, requesting, uh, 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 praying to, having a discussion to them, but praying that God would start to do things. And he's writing it in these letters. 
He's asking God to intervene. But this is a letter that he wrote to people. He didn't write this letter to God. He wrote it to the Ephesians. But these are prayers to God. Prayers for them. Now, if you're anything like me, you are thinking of other people that are important to you, people you're bumping into all the time throughout the day. To pray without ceasing could be done something very much like this. Pray to God, but aim it at the people you're talking to. Hey, I want you to know, and you know, this has been a it's been a tough thing. Now I know that it's tricky in the world today. You can't always stop and would you pray with me? That's not what I'm saying. But when you're interacting with people and you're talking to them and you're troubleshooting through this, thinking about man, I hope I wish God would make this easier for us. I pray that we'll have some 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 sustenance to get through this and, and be timely and be in good 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 standing with one another and not have infighting and not get too overly frustrated with one another. These are prayers, but these are day to day kinds of things. Paul's doing this, and he's praying for them because it works. If this was nonsense, Paul would not be doing it. There's one thing we know about Paul. He was pretty straightforward. He may be long-winded, but his text is very rich and full of context. (laughs) He doesn't waffle much. He's not indecisive. The time that he talks about this entire section is sublabeled, in, in my Bible, at least in the ESV, prayer for spiritual strength. And he's telling them how he's praying for them. He's doing that to let them know that, one, you're being prayed for. And I'm praying for you very specific things that God's going to do in you because it's the only way this is going to work out. But what he's also teaching them is this is a fine way to talk to people, to let them know how you've been praying for them. Ask them how you could pray for them further. Then let them know you've been praying that for them as well. When you start talking about things like this, it changes the cadence of the conversation. You seem pretty serious all of a sudden. I don't think anybody in Ephesus doubted that Paul really cared. He wrote a letter. He's clearly, you know, very interested in our betterment. He wants God to be moving within us, and he doesn't want us to try doing it ourselves. Interestingly enough, we see that as he prays for their strength, his strength is increased. If you read this and you think about how... As he's writing this, I just want to read it one more time, the entire passage. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, that's that's Paul praying for them, some, 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 some wonderful blessings to come their way from God. But now what we see is as Paul has said this and prayed this for them, Paul is now reminding himself and the target of the letter here why this matters. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Paul's included now, right? Now we're pivoting to the bigger picture. The breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more, more abundantly, I get chills reading this stuff. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This isn't just you poor Ephesians. This is to God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What Paul's praying for right here, he knows it's a joke. I can ask for whatever I want to ask for, but God knows what you need. And he also knows exactly what he's going to do about it. So to him, no matter what happens, according to the power that have worked within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Not Paul, not Ephesians, to God. 
Prayer is a miracle, and strength from God is found there. I like, I like reading it this way. I'm reading into it a little bit, but the, the cadence, if you read this and get faster and faster as you go, you can almost feel that as Paul prays this for them, he's reminded of why he can even pray this for them. I'm praying this for you because Christ did this for me. I didn't do it. I don't know anything more than y'all would know. God did all of this. So as I lift this up to you, it's like a little kid saying, hey, how tall should we make the building? I'm like, I don't know, five feet. Has anyone ever talked to a kid that's like six or seven and say, hey, how old do you think I am? And they're like, I don't know, maybe like 20. And you're like, that's old? Like, oh, 20's old. And like, oh my gosh, what if I told you I was 46? And I'm like, what? 46? Because I have no perspective. This is us talking to God. God, I hope you'll be at work within us. And God's like, oh, you have no idea what I'm going to do. And that's today. Wait till eternity. You know, he's praying for the fullness of God to be in us. We get this promise now. Filled with all the fullness of God here. Can we appreciate it? I don't know. But there's going to come a time when we will. And that's, what Paul's, that's why Paul's bothering. Number two, faith is fundamental and it brings strength. You heard me talk earlier about fundamentals, not fun. I could say the same thing when I hear people talk about faith. It gets really taxing. When I was a younger person, didn't have a good grasp with this. Oh, my faith is waning. Well, you need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to be at church more. Did you go to youth group? Oh, and I, I missed. Well, there you go. That's why your faith is weak. You're not doing enough to keep your faith sustained. You need to practice your fundamentals. Well, I'm here to tell you, church, that's not going to do it. Those are great things to do, once again. <laughs> but the fundamental nature of faith comes from the fundamental nature of God begetting that in our lives. Praying in earnest requires earnest belief. Doing the other things that follow on in belief without having belief is a fool's errand. It simply isn't going to do it. I want to say that again. If you do not believe Jesus is who he says he was, praying to him won't do any good. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, that's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. And I know that we also oftentimes say, hey, let's pray for salvation. That's fine to do as well. But if we really believe that this is God's job, then we have to give God the credit. And what we pray for is what Paul's praying for. Paul's not saying to heck with you until God says otherwise. Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. Now that you start coming to youth group, reading your Bible and praying more, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I don't care what you do. If that hasn't happened, faith is not where it needs to be. And if you're sitting there troubled saying, I don't know, I don't know if that's happened to me. I got good news. Ask and it shall be given. If you are asking earnestly, if you are in a repentant state of mind, and you are troubled, and the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit beginning to work in you. This is a miracle that I can't account for. This is the fog at the top of the mountain between us and God, that there's a point when our brain switches, and something changes, and we need this, and we want this, and God gives it to us. But before that time, nothing is going to do that of our own accord. You cannot overcome the God standing afar from you by praying away and, and getting in on a, on a technicality. This faith that saves comes from God. That should comfort us. You're not responsible for its upkeep. It's going to do things, and from that you're going to have great works. But my role in this is to be faithful in what God is doing in my life. 
this faith builds us up in ways we simply never could. Now, I can tell you this from experience. I spent some time in my life where I didn't quite understand what was going on, going through the motions, waiting for it to feel like it's all coming together, and it never really did. Then it one day it sort of did. I remember the time when, when, when Christ changed my heart clear as a bell. But it was, it was several years after that where it all started to really land in my head that I didn't have to earn this. I didn't figure anything out. It was from God alone. This faith, this belief that we know comes from outside of us gives us the strength to trust God for our good. Even when we don't understand what's going on, just so we don't understand why God suddenly gave us this illumination, it does teach us to trust him. When you read Paul's prayer here, he sounds pretty confident. Not that it's going to happen, but that God could make it happen. And Paul's saying, Lord, please make it happen. I know you can do it, and I wish you will. That's all that it's saying. Not, by my words, God will save you this moment in time. Everyone raise your hand, and everyone with their hands up right now. That is not what's going on here. Paul is relying 100% on God. And his faith is the fundamental thing that brings that strength to do so. Third point, love is lasting and brings strength. This love that I'm talking about is the love of Christ. We can love each other. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my church family. It's different than this love here. This is a love of Christ that transcends, it surpasses knowledge. You can't grasp it. It's something that has to come from faith alone, and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't change. It doesn't fade. It doesn't slip through your fingers when you're not careful with it. This love is eternal. This love is what drives us to repentance and forgiveness. This is why love and faith are so very closely coupled in things we talk about. Believing in Jesus is one thing. Loving him, quite another Quite another. Satan himself believes in Jesus. <laughs> he knows he's real. He does not love him. He does not love him. The faith that we pray for, the faith that Paul's praying for here, is a faith that brings with it this love of Christ that I couldn't reason out on my own. And that love, when you, it's like when you love somebody, you're willing to go to extraordinary measures for that person. Not because you're earning that, not because you fear they won't love you if you don't do it. I'm talking about a good, solid love, the best we could ever emulate on this earth. We do it in an unconditional way because we really, truly love them. We want good for them. We want to care for them. We want to help them. This is exactly the kind of love that drives us to repentance, drives us to forgive others as we were forgiven because we know what it's like to be on the other side of that. This love sticks and will never fail. It is the best news of all. Rough patches, dry spells, times in a desert. There's a million ways to say this. Every Christian's probably gone through this, where you feel isolated, you feel pulled away, you feel lonely, you feel abandoned, distant from God, distant from others. The good news is this love will not fail. It may be tough. It may be easier to, to bask in than others, but if you want to know why we get together every week and we sing these songs and we put our hands up and we smile and we pray for other people, it's because it's a great reminder that what we do is serious and it matters. And lo and behold, more times than not, when we get together and do this, there's a, a very, a, almost a warmth, right? A, a spiritual blessing that comes from this idea of taking some time to do what God would have us do. It's a good reminder, and it helps keep it fresh in our head. But because it is eternal and life savings, we're strengthened against doubt and fear. Will it come? Yes. It's inevitable. 
To, to, to say that you're going to, oh, I've, I've given my life to Christ, so I'll never know fear again. I'm going to trust in the eternal life and love forever. You can, but there are times when doubt may creep in. But when those, things, when those things happen, that's why we love having words like this. You go back and read what Paul's talking about here, and we're reminded that, yeah, this is, this is love that lasts. This is forever stuff. This is good love that doesn't come home one day and say, I just can't do this anymore, right? You're just too bad. You, won't, you just won't stop sinning. So this, that's, that's it. No more repentance for you. This is eternal. And lastly, and what leads us here, is that worship is wondrous and it brings strength. Paul can't do anything without worship. I mean, this guy, every letter he writes, every thought he has always connects back to God. If you, if you wonder why, it's not just placating. He's not just doing it to be nice or, you know, cross boxes off. It's because he has come to the full realization that God will do everything needed, period. All the other people, he's encouraging them to let God do the things through them that they're being nudged to do by God. But his real invocation here is not for them to work. It's to let God do things. God is so great. God is so powerful. He is so worthy of worship. He just can't say any two words without giving God proper worship. We should be the same way. When we go out, we see awesome things happen, and we are encouraging other people. We should be thanking God for what's going on in this space, especially when it comes to stuff happening at the church, church, good, bad, or otherwise. But when we know what God has done for us, we should, we should be spilling that over. When we know where we were and where we are, even though we're not done yet, our ability to share that good news with other people, to give that glory to God, if we actually have the proper perspective that, yeah, I took some steps, but I took them in the strength of God and the Holy Spirit working in my life, so the glory goes to God because I tried it on my own and it didn't go like this. It did not go this way and it was just me. Worship puts God in his proper place and our humility gives us strength. Now, this is something else that I think the world struggles with. You know, you see a lot of people that they do great things and they point up in the air like, like man, what a great game. He's 78 points. And they're like, God did it. And we go, okay. But anyway, what was your technique? And they're like, hey, God did it. But anyway, I was playing a heck of a game. I was light on my feet. And they have a million reasons that they were there. But they point at God as if that's going to make it okay. I'm not saying they don't believe. I'm not there. I don't know what's going on in their head. But there's this reality of like, hey, I want to look humble. I want to appear that I have a lot of humility right? That's true. The ability to take a breath and walk and perambulate around on your legs at all is a miracle. <laughs> that isn't because of you. That just sort of works. I'm not making my heart beat actively right now. That's taken care of for me by the way, by, by the order of God, the way my brain's been put together for nearly all of us. When we know that and we're put, we're, we are giving God the glory due to him because of all the things that are happening in our lives, all the things good or bad, and we say, Lord, we know all this works together for the good, and I believe it, and I'm going to step out in faith knowing that you're going to take care of me and I've got work to do, then when things go great, we're still humble. <laughs> I've been doing the same shuffling along as best I can. I'm shaking the shake and bake the same way I've always been. One time the kitchen was on fire, the next time the meal turned out great. But that's not my gig. I just shake and bake. I'm the, and I helped. I'm the helper. Give me the bag. I shake it and I give it back. When it goes great, awesome. That, praise be to God. When it goes bad, let's be in prayer that God's going to help us through this. That kind of worship changes things. So to go all the way back to the beginning, what are we going to work on? Where does our strength training start? We'll just take Paul's workout regimen here. Pray without ceasing. I talked about that. You can pray all the time, myriad ways. 
You know, some of us are working with kids in various ways every day. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff to pray for. Yourself, for them, for their families, for their loved ones, for the various people that are contributing their lives maybe in negative ways. You see the detriment that's coming into their life because of people around them that aren't giving them good news, aren't telling them the truth, misleading them. Pray for them. Pray that God will change them. Don't pray that they'll just shape up. Pray that God will affect them greatly. Bring them to their knees and understanding that they aren't in this alone and that God is in charge. Second, put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not know who Jesus is, start right now. That faith comes from God and changes everything. If you're on the fence, that could be the, the God moving in you right now. We want to talk about that kind of stuff. Don't leave. Or, or if you're watching online, reach out to us. Number three thing to work on, love your neighbor as yourself. This follows right along what we kind of talked about here, right? When we're focusing on love. This isn't a love that we can just sound be like, oh, God loves me so much. It's just crazy. I just spend eight hours a day sitting and thinking about the love that I've got. Now, spend those eight hours a day thinking about that love and showing it to other people. Prove it to the world that what you say, the love that Christ has put in your heart is something, a, a, a deeper love than you've ever experienced. Well, show it. Show it off. I, I worked with a pastor once, and uh, he mentioned that someone, he had bought a used truck, but it was newish. And someone came up to him and was kind of a left-handed comment, like, well, it sure is a pretty truck. I don't think I've ever seen a pastor with such a pretty truck. And his answer was, well, no one buys an ugly one, do they? <laughs> I always thought that was funny. Like, well, yes. All right, do you go shopping for ugly cars? Probably not. You buy the one you like, and this is the one I like and could afford, and that was that. And I think what we talk about sometimes is we say, oh, I got the love of Christ with me, and it's so beautiful. And then we turn to the world around us, and it looks like a dung heap. We can't love anybody. We've got no time for anybody. It's all backbiting and vitriol and anger. And like, don't talk to them. They're angry all the time. Like, oh, but they said they got the love of Christ. I'm like, I don't know what kind of love it is, but it's a, that ain't no good. That love is no good. Show that love off. Go love other people as Christ loves us. Try your best. You're not going to pull that off. You're not going to save them. You certainly aren't going to bear the wrath of God on their behalf, and you're not called to do so. But we know that's what Christ did for us, and what he wants us to do is love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's do it. And then lastly, don't worship any idols, only the one true God. And by idols, I mean money, I mean jobs, I mean fame and fortune and success and all these things that come with it worshiping a big church, worshiping wild success inside of any organization, worshiping by I pray 15 hours a day, I'm going to bump it up to 18. Those things become idols really quickly. And what we're talking about here, what Paul's praying to is the one true God, the Father that beget all fathers, the one who was there from the get-go. Easier said than done. I'd say we're here as a testament to the struggle of this endeavor. It is easier said than done. I can read this and mean it. It doesn't make it, make it automatic. We encourage one another to these ideals. If you want to know fundamentally why we get together, it's because the Bible told us to do it. God says it's important. So here we are. Now, I agree with God. It is important. I find this hugely beneficial to study together, to sing together, to uh, pray together, all this. This is an encouragement to one another. When we hear the truth of the word of God, it comes, never comes back void. Things are going to change. And we know, as Paul did, that our efforts are vain without God. If you're trying to pull this off without God, you could pull it off for a while. Hey, we use the drowning analogy where, you know, you, we're dead in the water now. That's what we should believe, right? God brings us back to life. 
Some people seem to kind of maybe auto-animate for a minute or two, and they look like they're alive. Maybe they're floating, and at first glance, like, I think they might be alive out there. If you ever heard of somebody falling in the water, you can usually survive for some time, but not forever. Eventually, you will run out of energy, and you will drown. That's a lot like it is. If you start to feel like, hey, I could, I could put on airs for a while. I can go through the motions here. If you don't have God there, all vanity. All vanity. Paul's not praying for them to start doing the things that Christians should be doing. Paul's praying for God to light them up. And I pray for all to know that God will do all that is needed. Now, will we be doing things for God? Yes, we will. Talk a little bit about faith without works being dead. That is in James. That is the truth. But instead of thinking of it as our faith is, uh, you know, made manifest alone by this, think of it more as strength training. The more we do works that God has called us to do, the stronger it makes our faith. We see that it's true what he said. The love within us, that's real. I begin to show it to others, and I find out myself feeling better as well. I'm getting a blessing back from these sorts of things. This is this feedback loop, this wonderful thing that God has put together, is, is, it's divine and it's miraculous. So what about us? Have you never prayed at all? Pray to Jesus Christ. We'll do it right now. We're going to have a time here in a little bit where we'll, we'll cover this. We'll get into that in a second, but it's a great time to do it. Do you feel like your faith is weak or absent? Maybe you believe, but it's just not much. Pray. Pray to Jesus. Are you saved? I got faith. I'm here. I know who Jesus is, but I'm really struggling to show people love. I'm just bitter and I'm tired. And the world's a mess and I don't know that I can do it. I try to love people and they just ruin me back. Pray to Jesus about that. Nobody has been ruined by people who loved him more than Jesus Christ. Are you loving but struggling to worship God fully? And I think this would be the one if there's Something that's a plague right now on most of American churches, it's this. I'm pretty good at this, but I don't even know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I love other people, and I love Jesus, but man, I'm busy. You know, I can come here on a Sunday and sing songs, but after that, it's back to the grind. And i got to put my guard up, and i got to get it done. I'll have to wait till the weekend to worship. There's just no time. Pray to Jesus Christ. That's the, I mean, you want the number one bullet here in the call to action? Pray to Jesus Christ. I know you, earlier you said, if I don't have faith, what's the point of praying? It's a weird thing how that works, right? Pray and ask. If it's heartfelt and you mean it, it will get answered. Praying despite God, yeah, that's a tall order. It's probably not going to do any good. You probably don't want to do that anyway as I'm talking to you if you think this is all nonsense. But if there's an inkling in your heart, if you feel like something needs to change and you're tired of being tired, pray to Jesus Christ. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for guidance to repentance. Ask for help. Just ask. Remember when you, if you've ever been around really, really little kids, we say things after they grow, like use your words. But before they have words, you never hear a baby crying and a parent saying, well, I just don't know what they want. I mean, I'm not going in there until they tell me what they want. <laughs> They could just be playing for all I know. No, there's something about that cry that matters. Cry to Jesus. If your prayer to Jesus is wailing with your arms up, he will pick you up. He will comfort you. If you want help, 
If you want to pray, if you just want somebody to say some, a few words or intervene or help you, help you say a prayer that you can't say, we'd love to do that. And lastly, our prayer for you is Paul's prayer here. I pray that God will work in everybody's life, that his strength will be manifest and will lead you to a place of under, beginning to understand the fullness of what Christ has done and the love that he has shown. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these passages about prayer and strength and about your glory, Lord. I love ending this with the idea that what we want more than anything is to be able to start the understanding of how high and long and wide and deep your love is, what you've done, the sacrifice, the, the knowledge of you. It's just, it's overwhelming, Lord. I'm so thankful that it's something we can pursue until we are no longer on this earth. I'm thankful, Lord, for words of encouragement. I'm thankful for Paul's words here that are your words through Paul. Letting us know that it's not something we have to do on our own. We're not left alone. It's not trying hard. It's not doing our best. It's trusting you. It's putting ourselves to death and letting you live within us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. It's in your son's name I pray.